Here 
this is the King's House. Welcome to the King's House. You may be seated this morning. If you are in here and you are interested in our elements class, today is the first day of our new term. And if you want to know more about the Bible and grow in your relationship with God, we encourage you to participate. There's four classes. They're each about six weeks long. The first one is not across the hall in the library. It's actually in pastor's office. So if you'd like to attend that, I won't be offended. You can slip out this morning and go join them. If not, I'm excited about today's lesson where we get to study together. Does anybody know what today's lesson is about? Ruth. That means that some of you are using these. That's fantastic. Sister Martha walked by and said, thank you for teaching us today. I'm excited to hear about Ruth. And I was like, and she said, remember you told me when you gave me this devotional because it's a Monday through Friday devotional. And she's like, well, what do I do on Saturdays? And I was like, you can look ahead to Sunday. It's right in here for you. So if you don't have this, we provide these for you because we want to see God's word working in our life, not just in the building of Calvary Gospel Church, but in the hearts and minds of us every single day. So if you don't have one, I'll give you this one right now if you want it. Otherwise, see an usher. We may still have a few left. But these are not just collector's items that we build a library. These are meant to help us every day. There's a little spot in here that you can journal. I know I used to have a hard time when I would think about journaling or doing a devotion, and I thought, man, I just, I can't write enough. I can't do enough. It's not good enough. And I got a sneak peek of T.F. Tenney. Anybody know who that man of faith was? I got to see his granddaughter, no, his daughter shared with, his granddaughter, I was right the first time, his granddaughter shared with me just a little snapshot of one of his journals, and I was blown away because it wasn't deep, and it wasn't philosophical, but it was real. And some of the answers were really short, but they were really raw, and I thought, that's all it needs to be. I just need to be me, and that's the design of this, is for us to take God's word and to personally apply it into our lives so that he can transform our minds and our hearts and therefore helping us in our everyday. So if you're not using it, that's my plug to encourage you to use this every day, God's word for life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we are kicking off our second part of our series, which is a brand new series, God is Faithful. And in this series, we will learn about God's faithfulness through four Old Testament stories Ruth, Esther, two ladies who had a lot more questions than answers, didn't they? And then also how God faithfully reached for Nineveh through Jonah, and then how Daniel stood in trying times. So that's what we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. And again, you can always get a sneak peek and be ready. Sometimes I find that when we've been there before, new things come to light. And that's the beautiful thing about the scriptures is that we can always go back and find something new and something relevant for today. Praise God. So today's lesson is Ruth and the Redeemer. Our focus verse is Ruth 3, verse 11, which reads, And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And the truth today about God is that we can know and understand that he cares about every need. And the truth for our lives that we can walk away with is a determination to say, I will share God's love with those in need. 
Before we start in the lesson, I want to ask whoever wants to share your favorite love story. It could be real or it can be a fairy tale. What's your favorite love story? Sister Vicki? Her own with Ben Vernon. Oh, ditto. Points on both sides. <laughs> Anybody got a favorite fairy tale? Princess Bride. Princess Bride. That's a good one. Okay. Cinderella, that's the classic. Rapunzel. Look at all these fairy tales coming out. Beauty and the Beast. All right. Well, like Sister Vernon, my favorite love story is my own. <clears throat> so a little snippet about my love story is I was in Bible school for a year, and I came home with a uh, computer, an e-machine, high quality, fit the budget of a college student. And let me tell you, that computer got used a lot in the dorms because not everybody had a laptop or a smartphone. Megan, I'm aging myself. Remember computer classes together? Yeah, like way back then when they weren't all around? Yeah, that was me. And something happened, and we would all write our papers, and we'd put them on these floppy disks. Remember those? Well, turns out that if you're not gentle in pulling out the floppy disk, you can leave behind some pieces of hardware that don't belong there. And then you can't put another one in. Well, I didn't know this then, but I brought it home. And I heard about this guy in church who worked on computers. And I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him to help me. And so I asked John Rivis to help me. He helped. He fixed my computer, and he was such a nice guy. He even brought it and dropped it off at my house. Aww. I was like, wow, that's really nice. But I was so focused on, I got to get to work, I got to do my things. And when John Rivest asked me out to lunch, I was like, oh, that's okay. I missed the cue. <laughs> and John was like, oh, okay. Well, obviously, he didn't give up because 20 years in a couple weeks together. I love you, and I'm sorry I missed that cue, but I do pay attention now. <clears throat> so our love story is my favorite love story, as I think many of us who are married can say the same thing. But another beautiful love story is the story of Ruth. I've always enjoyed reading this book, and no matter how many times I read it, I can find something new, something different. And sometimes if I just ask myself a simple question, like, whose perspective can I read this through? And today we're going to read an, our lesson, and we're going to study about Ruth herself. But also within the pages of this story is Naomi. And I think it's important for us to understand who Naomi is as we go into this. Because when Ruth opens, it opens up kind of in a dark place. It tells a story about Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Elimelech. Is that how you say it? That's how I say it. Elimelech. We're going to call him E, because then I don't get tongue-tied like last week. Um, so E decided one day that during the famine in Bethlehem, the house of bread is what Bethlehem means, and there was no bread in Bethlehem. And so he decided, you know what, I'm going to take care of my family, and we're going to Moab. <gasps> Moab? Moab's not the place for Israelites to go, but he said we're going. And I think it's really easy for us to start nitpicking at E 
and saying, why? Why would you leave the promised land? Why would you leave the house of bread and go to Moab? But you see, he had precedence for what he did. Anybody heard of a guy named Abraham? He kind of moved around a lot, right? Isaac? What about the time when all of Israel moved to Egypt because Joseph went before him and prepared for the famine? Elimelech's name, anybody know what his name means? I'll tell you. His name means God is my king. And he lived in a time of the judges where God was not the king of Israel. Even though he was in their hearts, in their lives, in their minds, he was not. And the Bible even tells us that every man did what was right in his own eyes. So I can imagine E being like, you know what? I'm going to take my family out of here. It's dying here. Nothing's happening here. We need bread. We need to survive. And we're going to go to Moab because Moab has food. I can provide. I can go. And a part of me thinks that he went and still kept his testimony with him because Ruth came back with Naomi, did she not? So something had to have happened. Some people are quick to judge and say, he didn't do the will of God and God took his life because we read about that happening here where he went to Moab and he died. The scriptures don't tell us. And depending on how we're and what we're teaching, sometimes we can twist it and say this is what's happening. But we have to be careful when the scriptures don't tell us. But we should think about it a little bit and pause and say, why is this story in here and what can I glean from it? So now here they are in Moab, and he passes away, and now Naomi becomes a widow. But it's okay, because she's got two sons. And these two sons are doing well, and in fact, they even found themselves wives, Moabite wives, which again goes against what God taught the Israelites. They weren't supposed to marry women from Moab, but they did And then again, speculation starts. Did God judge them because they stepped outside of what he asked? Because they too passed away. Can you imagine Naomi? I know that there are some people in here who have lost a spouse, but can you imagine losing a spouse and your children and having nobody? That's who Naomi was. That's the grief that she was walking through. That's the struggle that she was walking through. And it's interesting to me as I studied and I looked at this and I learned about all of this, Her attitude towards this, once she had nobody, who did she turn to? She turned back to God's people. And she thought, you know what? If I don't have anything here, I can go home because God will take care of me. There's provision for me in God's house. And so she went back because she knew that there was provision within the Torah that said, This is how we're going to take care of the widows. This is how we're going to take care of people who don't have what they need. And there was a law actually set up to where business owners, in that day, those business owners were farmers, and they would leave the corners of their fields for people to glean from. So instead of just giving a handout, they were saying, you know what, we'll help take care of you, but you have to put in a little bit of work, and you have to do it. And Naomi knew this. And so she thought, well, if I don't have anything here in Moab, I can go home and at least have a chance at survival. And so she talked to her daughter-in-laws, who were still with her, and she told them. She said, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give you. I'm a widow. God has judged me, and I have nothing to offer. Stay here. Stay here. And Orpah was like, "Mm, okay, I'm out. 
She kissed her and she said goodbye, right? I have to think that Orpah stayed with her, perhaps just simply out of duty. She just did it because that was the right thing to do. You see, for us, we sometimes get a little attached to these stories because we don't live in the same culture, nor do we adopt the same mindsets as them. But for them, family was everything. And family took care of family, and the expectation was that you would take care of them no matter what so that you could help their family line to continue on. But Orpah said, no thanks, and she left. And she went back to Moab. Now, she had every right to go back to Moab. She was a Moabite, right? And she was probably younger and still of the marrying age. And Naomi said, you know what? I'm not going to have any kids. I'm an old lady. I got nothing to offer you. She said, even if somebody took pity on me and they married me and I rose up a son, are you going to stand around and wait 20 years? Like, let's just be real about this, right? And it's interesting to me that she talked about that because there was space for that within the law and the teachings that if there wasn't somebody and they married, they could provide somebody. And again, this just kind of goes over our head because we don't do that here. But I think it's important to understand, like, this is what these women were contemplating. And Ruth thought about it, and it doesn't seem like she thought too long. And she said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going home. I'm not going back. She missed the cues that Naomi was sharing. Because maybe Naomi was thinking, it might be better for me just to go back as a single widow who's alone versus having somebody where they might think that she's providing for me, but I know that Ruth has nothing to offer me either, and maybe it would just be easier if I go alone. But Ruth missed all of that, thankfully, and she followed the divine cue, and she said, I'm going with you, Naomi. Not only am I going with you, your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. When I think about that, why did she choose Because here she is with this grieving old lady who has nothing and is even bitter to the point that she tells her friends when she returns to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She went from a sweet person to a bitter person. But something I have to believe that Ruth saw in her when she saw her in her prime, when she heard her talk about the God of Israel, when she shared her testimony, something in there, something in the way that she loved her family and led her boys, something in the way that she cared for her daughter-in-law spoke to Ruth, and she said, I may be a Moabite, but I'm going to go, and I want to be an Israelite. And so she chose to go. In my thinking, I think she chose because of relationship. And I think that's important for us to be careful sometimes what we do out of duty and respond in relationship. So she decides that she's going to go, and they head back to Bethlehem. Like I said, most telling in all the things that Ruth said was her vow, her vow to Naomi that her God would be her God. She was going to love her and love her God. That was her choice. Where can we look past the hurts of people? Look past the words that they're saying and try to help them. What can we do? Think about that as we continue through this story. Because each one of us needs to take responsibility for helping people who are hurting. 
On many occasions, hurting people bite. Hurting people lash out because there's so much pain that they don't know what to do with it. They tell us that they don't need our help. I'm going to figure it out. They don't need our prayers, and they certainly don't need our God. Sometimes they're so upset, they just talk out of their minds. They don't make any sense whatsoever because they're hurting. And despite their attempts to send us away, we must listen to the divine cues. What is God trying to do? Can we look past their words? Can we look past their hurts and follow the leading of the Spirit? Because God just might have a greater plan than what we see. And thankfully, because Ruth was on cue in her decision to accompany Naomi back to Bethlehem, back to Bethlehem, God put her on a path, a divine path. And we get to read about this together. As I mentioned before, when someone dies in Israel, a family member could raise up a child to carry on that name. And God orchestrated an incredible plan that took Naomi's words of nonsense. Can I give you a son? Can I raise up a husband for you? And he took that and he changed that and God gave her a grandson in the end. They thought they were going back to Bethlehem just because they needed sustenance. They had no idea that they would find the picture of the Redeemer when they returned. You see, when they got back, Ruth started looking for a field to work in so that she could find some food for her and Naomi. She was very concerned about taking care of Naomi. And she took off, and she ended up in a field, and Ruth 2.3 reads, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And her hap was, which means she just so happened to show up at the field of Boaz, who just so happened to be family. Hmm. Some people call that coincidence, but I think that was God working and orchestrating and ordering steps for her. So sometimes when we read the scriptures, like, just so hap, what does that mean? I imagine the writer of this book just kind of smirking as he wrote this. Just so happened she showed up at Boaz's field. She was there and she expected to work, and that's what she did. She got to work. And she worked hard. And she sweated. It was not pretty. But Boaz saw her, and she caught his attention. And he's like, who is that? I imagine that there were many people who worked the fields because not everybody was wealthy and people needed help. And so it wasn't like it's this empty field with one woman there. I'm sure there were many there. But she caught his attention and he's like, who is this? And he began to inquire about her and he began to hear her story and he began to find out that she was working so hard to prepare for her mother-in-law. She could have left her mother-in-law and gone back home to her family and to other people and to a new husband, but he had tremendous respect for her. And he began to kind of keep his eye on her and to watch her, kind of as a protector, it looked like, as you read the scriptures. 
Sometimes for us, it's hard because we read the scriptures and we know what happens at the end. And so then that lens changes how we read the scriptures. But when you read through these and you go through the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters. So you could even go through it this afternoon before your nap. But you can see exactly how Boaz responds. And he protects her. And he talks to his guys, his workers, his hired help. And he says, hey, make her job a little lighter. Drop some extra. Drop some over here. And that just speaks to me, and that's amazing, that we can go through struggles and we can go through difficulties, and we're expecting the Lord to lift us out of it, but we don't see his hand leaving something for us as we go. Walk this way. Come this way. We're too angry and upset saying, just remove this. Get it out of here. Get me out of here. And he's saying, walk this way. I got you. And that's what Boaz was doing. And he was protecting her. He told the guys, he said, you know what? Look out for her. Look out for her. She's a foreigner. Perhaps there might be some people who are not of a right spirit who might take advantage of her. So he provided for her protection. And then he also invited her to lunch. And she went. She got the cue. She went. Now this was kind of a big deal because the owner was with this person who was of no status whatsoever. And not only that, he invited her to the table and he sent her home with extra food for Naomi. So you can see the Lord's blessing along her way in the path of what she did. Have you ever had a situation that happened for you you thought was coincidence, but later you saw (laughs) that was definitely God? That was God at work. Share that testimony with somebody because somebody else might need that word of encouragement to help them where they're at. Because you see, God had beautifully orchestrated. It didn't just so happen. He orchestrated it so that this man of substance, this man of wealth, would be able to help this widow Moabite. And it's interesting because they got there in the spring when it was time, or the beginning of harvest, And that went pretty fast. And I can imagine Naomi, like, every day, we know how it is, girls. We need the tea. We need to know what's happening. And I can imagine Ruth coming home and Naomi be like, how did it go today? What happened? Because she sees the hope of the promise of who Boaz can be to Ruth and to herself. And she's like, talk to me, girl. Talk to me. Tell me the story. And then all of a sudden, she's like, you know what? Boaz is not getting the cues here. This guy is not paying attention. There's this beautiful, available woman. And Boaz, you don't have a wife. Here's one. You know, like, come on. Nothing's happening. Because Boaz was such a man of character that he never thought twice in that direction. And we'll see how we know that later. But Naomi says, all right, Ruth, here's the plan. Here's the plan. We are going to get that man's attention, and here's how we're going to do it. Now, her plan was like, what? When we read that, we're like, wait, 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 wait. She she told her to go to the threshing floor at nighttime when Boaz would be sleeping. And I was like, why? Why would they do that? Well, if you look it up and you study it out a little bit, you can see that there were thieves who wanted to steal the harvest. And so in order to thwart that from happening, the owner would lay and sleep and protect his crop. That's how much he was protecting it. 
And so he ate and he drank, and Naomi said, okay, girl, here's the plan. Go wash that dirt off your face. Let's wash that sweaty hair. Here's some new clothes. Put these on and spray this perfume. It smells really, really good. Go anoint yourself, be attractive, and go. And then what I want you to do is go lay down at his feet. I don't know about you girls, but I don't know. I've never been that desperate that I'm like, yeah, I'll go lay down at his feet. Uh -uh. Wouldn't even cross my mind. But she did it because she loved Naomi and she trusted her. I don't know if she even understood. I mean, I would certainly hope like the mama in me would be like, here's why we're doing this, you know? So Naomi knew the customs. She knew what that meant. And scholars even tell us that her going and laying and asking him to cover her with his garment was a way of popping the question, will you marry me? Will you protect me? Will you put your wing over me and take care of me? So she was asking the guy. Now, in 2023, it may not be uncommon. Are there any women in here who popped the question? I don't think there are. I don't know of any stories. If not, we need to talk. There aren't. No hands went up because it's not really common. But can you imagine how uncommon it was in ancient days for women who had no status or stature? I mean, she's putting herself out there, isn't she? But she does it, and at about midnight, Boaz wakes up. And I'm sure it startled him because there's a woman at his feet. And he's like, oh, what's going on? He was a man of character, right? And he's like, who's there? And she's like, it's me, it's Ruth. And maybe that was a sigh of relief to him. I hope it was. And his response seems to, see, seems to us that it was. So she tells him who she is, and she asks him to spread his skirt over. She pops the question. And Boaz's response to me is so intriguing because he's like, okay. And then he's like, thank you for being so kind to me. Thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for considering me to be your husband. Clueless, right? It's because he was a man of character. And when we see men of character, we can see proper relationship. And this story shares that. But he says to her, okay, all right, I'll take care of this. And then he protects her integrity and he sends her on her way before everyone wakes up and is like, what happened on the threshing floor? Right? He protects her. And not only does he send her away, he sends her away with a bounty of barley. He takes her veil and he feels it completely full. And he again provides for her as she goes home to take care of Naomi. It's such a beautiful story. He moved beyond the requirements of the law. Sometimes it's so hard for us. We want to know exactly what we need to do to get exactly what we want. But he looked at this and he met the requirements of the law and then above and beyond. So he promises Ruth that he's going to take care of business. And he does. I imagine the very next morning at dawn, I imagine, he was off to the gates, the city gates, because that's where they conducted their business. It was an open place where the men of the city, the leaders, they would talk about things. And I'm sure he was there bright and early and he was waiting because now he's got the hope and the promise of a bride. And he's waiting. 
He's waiting for a man to show up because he knows that I am family, I am kin, but I'm actually in second place. There's another guy. Boy, how that would have changed things, huh? There's another guy. And so he respected the law, he respected it, but he used wisdom in how he approached the topic. And so he finds Guy and he talks to him and he says, hey, there's a field. There's some property that you can obtain, some property that you can buy from the family of E. And the guy's like, really? I'd like to add that to my portfolio. That would be fantastic. He's super excited. And then Boaz is like, but wait a minute. There's some women that come with the property. And not just women, there's a mom, a mother-in-law, and her daughter. Boy, does that add some baggage to the plan, huh? And Guy looks at it, he thinks about it, and he's like, wait a minute. I kind of have a plan of what I want to do with my life, and this property would be amazing, but these women, not so much. And you know what he does? He passes. He had a responsibility, didn't he, Brother Vernon? He had a responsibility to respond to his duty according to the law. And he said, no thanks. It doesn't fit my plan. Bummer for him. Because what happens is Boaz rises up and publicly says, I'll buy the land and I will take responsibility for Naomi and I will make Ruth my wife. And people were so excited when this happened, they could see, they saw the woman of virtue that Ruth was. In fact, the word that is used is the same word that's descriptive of the Proverbs 31 woman. Boaz knew the treasure that he had found in Ruth. And the people saw the treasure that he had found in Ruth. And they prayed a prayer of blessing over him. And the prayer of blessing was the same prayer of blessing for... Does anybody know? Nope. What? Oh, the prayer of Perez. Is that what you're thinking of? Um, not quite going in that direction. But it was a prayer specifically over Ruth, that she would be like Rachel and Leah. And that's a huge blessing. Some people today don't see children as a blessing. They see them as a burden. But to the Israels, they look, the Israelites, they looked at this, and when they got married, there was the expectation of children, the expectation of blessing that would come. And today, I don't know if they prayed that prayer over us, 13 children. (gasps) I don't know if we would be super excited about that. But what we see is that Ruth was a great woman who raised great children. In fact, her great-grandson was King David. And King David was the great, 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 great grandfather of the king of kings, who we know as Jesus. Boy, Guy missed out when he passed on Ruth, didn't he? He missed out. Whatever his plan was, wasn't that big. And his family name didn't get to bear his name the same way that Boaz's did. That's incredible when I think about that because it reminds me to be careful of the plans that I make because he just might have a greater plan. You see, Ruth was an incredible lady. 
And Boaz was a beautiful man of character in my eyes. And like them, you and I have an opportunity to live our life and to step out and seek to redeem other people. We cannot be their savior, but we can point them to the savior. We can show them Jesus. Sometimes we think it's someone else's responsibility. That's pastor's job. That's the youth pastor's job, and that's for children's ministry. And we back off. But you see, every one of us, every point to yourself and say, I have a responsibility to reach others. I must share the gospel. Maybe there are others who are more gifted than us. Maybe there's others who are more outspoken than us. But can I share with you from one introvert to another? God makes up the difference. He helps us do what he wants us to do. If we could do it, it would just be our plan. But when we have to step outside of our comfort zones, outside of our natural tendencies, then God can show up. And he can show up and meet the needs of people that we have no idea have needs. And so this morning, I would challenge you to think about that and not leave all the burden on the pastoral or the ministerial leadership. Let's each one of us do everything we do for the glory of God to make disciples for Jesus that are of Jesus. We don't need to go and create mini-me's. We just need to point people to Jesus and let him do and work his beautiful plan. Who do you know this morning? Who do you know who needs to be redeemed? Maybe it's a family member who has not yet grabbed on to truth. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's an acquaintance that you run into at the grocery store. Maybe it's the clerk at the restaurant you go to. Who knows? But what if we ask, Lord, who do you know that needs to be redeemed? Who can I help? We're going to wrap up this morning talking a little bit about how sometimes men can prove to be more clueless than romantic when it comes to love. Now, sometimes women too can be a little clueless. But just kind of in fun here, looking at the the last parts of these notes, you know, sometimes people are clueless and they have a good reason for it, and that's okay. I'd rather have someone who's clueless than a know-it-all because you can teach someone who doesn't know it all. But if Ruth had not met Boaz on the threshing floor that evening, Boaz might have missed out on fulfilling his desire to be married fulfilling Ruth's desire to be remarried and Naomi's desire to be a grandmother. But thankfully, Ruth heard. She didn't just hear. She followed the instructions given to her. She didn't miss her cues. A number of people have acted like Boaz, and they've missed their cue. And they've missed out. Sometimes, some love stories are funny, especially when men fail to understand the hints of women trying to give them their cues. One man didn't recognize this obvious cue when his his friend came to him and said, my boyfriend just broke up with me. 
oh, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. He missed his cue that she was interested. But later he figured it out and they got married and they had children. Sometimes even a whole group of guys can get together and miss out. The story in here of a young lady who created a mixed CD, not a mixed tape, a mixed CD. Anybody get a mixed CD? I have a mixed CD. Megan's got one too. These love songs on there, and the guys are like, oh, what's this for? Why would she give me this CD? What am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. Let's just figure it out. Uh, does she like me? Does she like these songs? Does she want me to sing? What does she want? Right? I could just picture the guys. Another guy put a, a Facebook post out, let's go hiking. And the only person to respond was a cute young lady. And it wasn't until he dropped her off at home that he realized they had gone on their first date and had dinner all day. They too got married. So love stories can be funny, cues can be missed, and later grabbed onto. It's never too late for us to grab onto God's cues and what he wants to talk to us about. You see, God cares about every single need and every single desire that we have. He wants to take care of us. And sometimes we don't feel loved and we don't feel like he cares because we just don't see his love. We can't feel his love. And sometimes for some people, a very direct approach is needed. People need to hear you say, I love you. Jesus loves you. But we must be careful about how we do that because we can beat people up with the gospel because we want to give them the truth and this is what it is, but we don't want to live the truth and we don't want to be loved to them. So we have to be reflective first and foremost. Who am I? Am I a woman of character? Am I a woman of love? Because you can't share love when you can't be love. And God is love. And he wants each one of us to grab onto this idea and to grab onto this concept. To love each other. To help each other. To encourage each other. Our job is not to change each other and to fix each other. But to encourage each other towards love and towards Christ. That is what he's after in you and I. And we should all be able to take a big sigh of relief in that, knowing that he will do what needs to be done. We just have to love and be willing to put ourselves out there to help somebody else. We need to pray for God to guide us. Guide us in loving other people and show us. Set aside our plans and ask. Sometimes we want to be really broad and we want the whole plan and we want it right here, right now. What about just asking him for today? What about it? Before our heat, our heat, our heat hit the floor. Sometimes you get up here and you get a little nervous and everything comes out backwards. Thankfully, it's not too often, but it keeps creeping up on me more and more. I'm sorry. But just think about this. If we stopped our plan, if we stopped our calendar and we were like, okay, Lord, Today, who can I show your love? The truth of the matter is we should show it everywhere we go in everything we do. But sometimes there's a specific moment. And I'm reminded of a moment for me personally where this happened. 
there was a, a new convert here at church who um, I had spoken to and prayed with and just thought about her a lot. And then I hadn't seen her for a while. Because sometimes that happens. People come and they're just unsure or they're overwhelmed and then they disappear, right? But we need to love them back. We need to help them back to Jesus. <clears throat> and one day I was finishing up in the office over here and I had some mail that needed to go out. And sometimes I don't want to walk to the mailbox, even though I probably should, and put it out there. And sometimes I'm like, I'll just take it home and I'll put it in my mailbox and it'll be fine. But this particular day, I got home and I kept hearing this little nudge, or feeling this nudge. Go to the post office. I'm like, well, I don't want to go to the post office. And then I heard it again. Go to the post office. I don't want to go to the post office. I just want to relax. I just want to chill. And then one more time, it was just like, go to the post office. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I hear you. So I got in my truck and I went to the post office. And I don't even go in the post office when I go to the post office. So I just did my thing. And I go to that drive-up spot where you can go out the window and just do your thing and move on. And I, I drive up there and I reach out to put the mail in. And in my mirror, I see this sister walking up, pushing the cart to collect the mail. And I'm like, oh, there she is. I've been thinking about her. And she sees me, and she runs up to the truck, and she throws her arms in there, and she gives me the biggest hug you can give through a truck window. And I'm just like, oh, it's so good to see you. And you're just talking. And it wasn't very long. The whole exchange maybe was 30 seconds. And as she turns to leave, because we did get a, a beep, because people wanted to get their mail and move on. Um, and so she turns to leave, and without even thinking, my introverted self leans out the window and yells, I love you. And then I get back in the truck and I'm like, what was that? What was that? Why did you do that? But it felt really right because it was a God moment. And I didn't know, but I found out later through another friend. Brother Ben, you might remember this story. And he said to me, I don't know what you did, Jess, but man, did you speak to her. I didn't do it. He did it. What if we could be that sensitive every day? What is it that God wants to do? Who is it that God wants to see his love? This is what it's all about. Opportunities for us to share who he is to us. And if you say, but I don't really know the good God that you know. My prayer this morning is that you would find him. That you would see him. That you would know him. And you would find out that he is love, that he is good, and that he cares. Let's stand together. And let's pray. Let's pray that our eyes would be opened, that God would help each one of us to see opportunities to show God's love to other people, to be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere we go. Because we live in a world of hurting people who need a savior who need a hope, who need to know that there's something beyond the struggles and the trials of today. Let's pray together as we close this lesson. 
Heavenly Father, I love you. You are such a great and gracious God. I thank you, Lord, for your presence that is here this morning. I thank you for your love that is reaching for each one of us. And Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would give us the guidance, give us the understanding, give us a sensitivity. Help us to make the choice to listen to you, to feel after you, God, and to understand those those holy nudges that are asking us to do something more. God, I pray that you would help every one of us to be sensitive to your voice, God. that we would recognize where you are leading us. Help us to set aside ourselves long enough just to reach out to somebody else, God, that you would help us to recognize opportunities to share your love. God, that you would help us, Lord, to live lives that are full of honesty, lives full of integrity, so that you can be seen through us. God, I pray that your spirit would fill us, that your anointing would empower us, and that your grace would carry us to accomplish what it is that you have. Lord, for every single one of us this morning, I pray that that would be done and that you would be glorified and that others would find you and know you and that you too would offer them the same redemption that you have offered us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise God. If you have children, they're starting to line up. Well, those are the big kids, the ones you probably don't have to worry about. But if you have other children, rescue their teachers. And we'll see you at 11.